Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of Dr. Brian Harmon. Now, he's a father, husband, entrepreneur, author, man, the, li- <laughs> the list literally goes on. But what Brian does in his day-to-day job with his consulting business is he works with corporate executives and transforms them into high trust leaders. And today, I've pinned him down, got his calendar, and I said, I want that slot, dude. And I pinned him down, and I said, okay, I need you to come and talk to my audience about one specific thing, which is the three steps for landing three TEDx talks in less than 30 days. When Brian told me he did this, I was like, okay, dude, I need you to come on the show and I need you to tell everybody how you did it. Because nowadays people want to get on more stages and TEDx and TED talks and stages are big for people. So what's up, bro? Hey, 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 good to be here. Hey, I don't, you didn't mention this. It was actually three talks in under 30 days in three countries too. So, I mean, there's oh. this global piece that I think is also important when we're thinking about us as communicators, communicating across different nationalities, sensitive sort of practices towards culture, people, audiences. There's a lot there. So, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it. Dude, I didn't think about that. Did you do, how many did you do virtual or were they all in person? Just one was virtual. That was the fourth one that was recent. But back in 2019, I did three in 30 days in three countries. Damn, dude. What what countries were they? United States, Canada, and the Dominican Republic. So, by the way, for those listening, if I just burst out laughing in Brian's face or if we're just making fun of each other, it's because we're very good friends. So, it's sometimes hard to keep a straight face, but I'm going to try it. So, dude, what I want the audience to really understand for context is... Why consulting and why work with corporate executives? Let's dig deep into some of the context first. So I was a corporate strategy executive. And in my career, one of the things that I found myself constantly looking for was people like me that could give me some dedicated one-on-one help as a coach in some specific areas where I was really struggling. And yeah, I did find some people that did that. But over the course of my journey, I found this desire, this really clear need to uh, help people with the areas that I know they're really struggling. So when I work as a coach with my executive clients, there's a sense of transformation, a sense of breakthrough. I, I don't want people to be stuck in plateaus. And oftentimes we, we spin our wheels and we do these things over and over and over again that doesn't yield any results. So I want them to get the results and, and not have to do all of that head banging against the wall. Like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Because I've, I've been there and I've done that. And so in my tiny little field of leadership, that's where I can help. And with the results that you've gotten for a lot of these Fortune 500 businesses that you partner with, how has having done TEDx Talks helped you, if at all? The formula for trust is character and competence. Now, competence means credibility. And when I'm thinking about my own credibility as a leadership coach, 
what better way to establish credibility than by speaking about it? So TEDx is one of the forums and mechanisms in which I can build that collective credibility or social trust is to get Mm -hmm. on stage, talk about what leadership means to me, talk about how I build trust. And then people can say, okay, there is some credibility. He's done this a few times. He's, he's not some, some new executive coach. So I think in any relationship, if you like someone and they have great character and you feel like you can relate with them and they're approachable, that's character. That's half of the formula. But if they can't do the thing I need them to do, the technical competence side of trust, then the relationship is worthless. And I'll I'll give you this in a, a more simple analogy. Like my mom is great. Was she always the best mom and perfect mom and great at being a mom? No, no parents are ever perfect. We could all agree to that. And so there's the character and the competence. Number one is, do I like my mom and love my mom? Yes. And do I think she has great character? Yes. Is she the perfect mom at all moments? No. And so the competence piece of that is, is just that. Or you could think of this in another way as a shitty friend. <laughs> We've all had a shitty friend and a great friend. We love them both equally, but some friends just aren't as good at being a friend. You kind of have to be the mm. one that calls. You got to check mm-hmm. in on them, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the two components. If I have a friend that I love, but also is great at being a friend, I trust them a little bit more than the friend that I love, but is just shitty at being a friend. So those are the two pieces, character and competence. And in any profession, you have to figure out ways to build that competence and credibility. So for me, TEDx was one of those. So it sounds as though for you, the TEDx thought was a massive trust accelerator because you're actually being able to showcase the type of work that you do and being able to showcase the transformation through the content that you deliver in that 15 minute slot. And then people ultimately go, ah, oh, man, okay, okay. He's talking about what he does. I see the credibility. Let's, let's hire this dude. Let's, let's see if he can solve my problem, right? Let's go side by side. You're an executive in a corporate environment. You need some help. The okay. relationships around you are hurting. You put out some feelers. You're talking to two executive coaches now to work with them. Yeah. You yeah. got one executive coach is been doing it for a few years and has okay credentials and all that. And everything looks pretty good. You got another executive coach that's got four TED Talks, peer-reviewed academic validated studies, PhD, 100 LinkedIn recommendations, all that kind of social trust. Now you think of the two stories next to each other and you say, okay, they both look competent. One looks more competent. And Credibility is important. When you get on the phone with someone and they're questioning whether you can do your job or not, that's a different Mm. conversation than a chemistry match. Like I'm not a chemistry match for a lot of executives. I'm wearing like, look, just how I'm dressed. I'm wearing a hoodie and a, and a, and a hat. So I already know that I'm not going to have the, the, the chemistry with, with every executive, right? Yeah. The right executives are going to be like, he's my guy right? The right executives for you are definitely going to be like, he's my guy. And I think what's cool about you is that you've carefully crafted everything that you do with such intention that you only want to attract the people who you can really help and the people that are aligned with your values. And I suppose before we get into it, man, the the question I have to play devil's advocate here is, is that with a lot of people these days applying for TEDx talks and getting accepted. Do you believe that the prestige of giving a TEDx talk has been diluted over the past few years? So in an easy answer, yes, but not as much as I would think. So I know the process. I know how hard it is. I know what it takes to apply, prepare and deliver a TED talk. It's not easy. And there's only anywhere from like four to 10 speakers in a given event. And so if there's hundreds of applications and you make it through to that very small population that actually gets to get on stage and speak at these events, 
hey, you've done a, you've done something right. And also just the fact that you're doing it. Like when, when people say, oh, you've done four TEDx talks, that's amazing. They've never watched my TEDx talks. Just the fact that you've done it puts you in a different sort of criteria against other people because everyone knows it is a selective process. It's not that easy. You have to prepare, you have to memorize, you have mm. to sort of get put up against the test. And that's what anything is. That's what a degree and a diploma is. That's what a certificate is. That's what being an entrepreneur is, is you've been put through these different tests. And people want to know that uh, the people that they're working with have a sense of rigor to what they've done. And I think the cool thing here is, is that it's not just entrepreneurs who want the opportunity to give a TEDx or a TED Talk. There's, I know of executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, authors. There's so many people from so many different walks of life who have the opportunity to share their ideas. So for those of you listening right now who think, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't want to give a TEDx. So, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. Have a thing, have a thing, okay? Because it's an amazing opportunity for the right person to build their brand, according to Dr. Brian Harmon. And that's exactly why we're getting to the juice now. Let's get to the meat, man. So I know that you've built a three-step process for actually landing those three TEDx talks in less than 30 days in three countries, right? Don't want to forget that. Don't want to forget that. So tell me, what's step number one? Yeah, so in the three steps, you got to apply, prepare, and then deliver the talk. So let's go back to step one is applying to the talks. No one's going to okay. just call you and say, Hey, can you do a Ted talk for me? It just doesn't work <laughs> like that. You have to put in an application and the way yeah. that you should put in the application is put together a standard package. It might have yeah. some examples of you on video. So you've got a link to a yeah. YouTube thing. And then that's great to have that sort of standard package, maybe like a one page PDF of you and your bio. And, and that's great. You can't just put the standard application in for every different TED Talk. They're different. There's different events, different audiences, different themes. So out of the three that I did in 2019, one was for a university, one was for a retired community out in the Dominican Republic, one was focused on, on something completely different. So you have to take that standard application that you do and then customize it to the theme of the audience mm. and event that is, is the one you're applying to. Now, the other thing I would say is start in your home community, start close by and see what's around you, then move it out from there. When I applied to the 271 different TED Talks in 2019, they were all over the world. I literally applied to every single TEDx talk in the world. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them just send you right back a rejection letter that says, hey, we're only looking for local people. And that's great. It's about promoting local voices. And there's some exceptions to that, which is why I did them in, in a few different places. But that's the step one is put together your standard package of, of different assets and your personal bio and your little speaker reel that has an example of you speaking somewhere and then customize it to the events. That's step one. So 271 is a lovely outreach campaign. I want to actually talk to that moment or that specific idea in a second and see how long that process took and if you outsourced it. But before we do that, let's give the audience an idea of what specific assets you think are the most important. So we've got speaker reel. You've got your signature talk for that specific TEDx idea and the learning objectives. What, what else is there inside of that that people need? 
Usually the applications are pretty similar. So you'd mm-hmm. want to uh, just have like a, a document somewhere that has the the general things. Where are you from? What's your address? What's your yeah. background? What's your your professional history? So I just put together this little document that had the, the sort of uh, little pieces of information I could copy and paste into those. Okay. Dope. Love that. Love that. Now 271. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a lot, dude. That is a lot. So how long did that take? Did you outsource that process? What percentage of those, obviously you landed three, but what percentage of those did you get an interview with? That's a lot of questions I just asked you. So <laughs> I did have help. I hired an intern and I paid her minimum wage uh, plus $500 for every one that I landed because she was doing mm-hmm. a lot of the legwork. And here's what I mean by legwork. When we're doing these applications, you have to go onto their website. You have to actually put together your application and fill in all the boxes and then next step and fill in the boxes and next step. After that, there's a lot more to do. So you have to go hit up the TEDx organizers on email, LinkedIn, on their website, try to find some way to communicate with them again, because just applying blindly is never going to do it. You want to actually reach out, make sure it's a good fit, show them that you're actually interested, get your application bubbled up to the top, maybe that way. And so a lot of that happens there. So the intern, she was in integrated marketing communications uh, still in school. She was a student and she helped me to really just make sure that all of that got done and and that the message was always on point. And then we would, again, customize those applications to really make sense for their theme if it was published yet. So if, if the theme was like changing human behavior, well, okay, great. Like my talk doesn't need that much customization, but if it's like something a little bit of further of a stretch, then we'd have to really think about, well, how does trust link up with what they're talking about? So yeah, we did that. Uh, it was just the two of us. Uh, it took about two and a half months or so. And then uh, nothing. It was complete radio silence. We got nothing but rejection letters for the first three, four or five months. Then we'd start really? to get a couple nibbles because the applications are open pretty far in advance. So then after a, few, a, a couple more months, we're like at month six now, I've got a couple that are interested and they're interviewing me. So there's a few stages of that, just like a job interview. And then at the very end, you, they'll tell you if you're selected or not. Okay. Well, there's two things here that I want to touch on. The first thing is what's very interesting is you spoke about those assets that you need. And often you said they're repeatable on a lot of uh, TEDx applications. So because you had those assets, which the intern could repeatedly use, it became a process where I'm assuming you put together a standard operating procedure to give the intern and they were able to do the outreach, which is pretty cool, man. I think that's, that's, very, that's a very interesting way of buying your time back. Point two is... Okay, so you're receiving all these rejections. It must have felt pretty disheartening. How did you cope with the rejection? And then second question, how many of the overall, out of the overall 271 outbound campaigns did result in an interview? I was very optimistic in the beginning. If you're going to apply to 271 TED Talks and you have really awesome cutting edge research in the field of humor and trust, and if you really mm-hmm. have the passion and some experience in speaking and a good speaker reel, I was fairly certain that I was going to land one of these things. Did I yeah. think it was going to take six months for a callback? That part did sting a bit. And, and I felt burnt. When you did 50 of the applications, I did purely myself before I even called her and, and got really? help with it. Okay. Yeah. So I'm doing 50 of these things. And this is after my day job, after all my work, after all my research. I was still doing finishing my PhD at the time. So after everything in my normal life and being a dad, then at 10 o'clock at night, I'm plugging in 
to go do this thing I'm really passionate about. And it's like, I got to chip away, dude, it's going to work. I just, I, I believe in myself. I have to have faith in the fact that this is going to take time. So I would, I would go in after hours late at night on my computer with all the lights off, like sitting on the sofa, trying not to make noise or wake anyone up and like just shoot those applications out and reach out to people. But yeah, once it started coming together with the interviews, I would build up that confidence right back up. It was like that all it takes is one win to immediately mm. relieve all of that sort of uh, time and effort that you'd put into it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yes, it did, it did sting. It was a, a difficult uh, pill to swallow when you're just getting rejection letter after rejection letter and they all felt automated and impersonal. And it's like, I, I was putting my full heart and soul into this thing and I'm just, I'm not getting anything back. But once one of them knew I was doing one, then the next conversation got easier because now I can say, hey, I've been accepted to this one in the Dominican Republic. And they're like, oh, great. Well, which topic? What's their theme? Oh, great. Oh, and what are you going to do with us? And it's like, oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, great. Like he's been there, done that. And so they got a lot easier. So out of the 271, I actually performed three of them. And over the course, like after you do three, I've got nothing left to say, man. I, I, all my material is used up. There's no more TED Talks for me to do. There's only so much. I mean, these are difficult things to put together in the first place. Just one would, would have been enough. So after the three, I think maybe three or four others ended up coming back to me and saying that they were interested, but I said, I, I can't do any more this year. I'm completely tapped out on ideas that will change the world right now. <laughs> So you actually landed six to seven. Is that what you're saying? But you had the opportunity. Well, you only had the opportunity to take on three because of content fatigue. I did the three, but I, I wasn't actually selected for those other three or four, but I had to turn them down. Oh. I was put into the final selection process, but I had to turn it down because it was just too much at that point. So maybe I would have gotten a couple of more, maybe not, but I, I was being pushed forwards in a few others. Ah, got you. So around six to seven came back for the next stage or whatever that was. I'm assuming it was an interview. But then overall, you ended up doing three. Wow. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. That really is. And that's an interesting point that you mentioned as well. Uh, from my understanding, TEDx are very, very specific and very, very, what's the right word? Adamant that the content that you deliver isn't being pitched anywhere else or hasn't been shown anywhere else, right? I had to do two or it, all three of them had to be completely original content. They could not overlap. Now they could be in the fa same field of mm -hmm, leadership, mm -hmm. but they couldn't be the same talks or even the same topics. And uh, they talked to each other. So once I, I got accepted to the second one, then the first one wanted a copy of my speech for the second one. Then once I got the third one, the third one wanted a copy of my speech for the first, second, and third one because they don't want repetition. Uh, it's against the TEDx policies to be repeating speeches. So it's actually, a, what is that? 2%, six, six possible yeah, talks out of 271-ish. Yeah. So if you think of yeah. 2%, that's actually pretty good. If you do yeah. 100 applications, you'll probably land a TEDx talk. <laughs> yeah. Not bad, right? Actually, if you think about it like that, in terms of that level of conversion, people would probably assume 1% to 3% when they're sending outbound campaigns to individuals for you know emails or whatever it could be, complete cold. So, hey, dude, good job. And, I, and here's what's interesting, what you did as well for me, is that you, once you landed the first one, you were using the social proof from that as leverage for the remaining two, which is which is amazing, man. That's a, that's a super cool, super cool thing to do. So, okay, we've got the assets. We're doing the outreach. We're applying. We're being different and we're outsourcing the process. Then what? What's step two? So step two, you got to prepare. 
the thing mm-hmm. that is so great about what you do every day is help people to tell their story in a, in a concise way that really prepares them for a winning presentation. Now, mm-hmm. I have to admit, out of the four TED Talks that I did, only one of them was was decent, sadly. And, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons for that is because they are difficult. They're, it's not easy to build any type of a message or story into a 10-minute deal where the audience is, is fully engaged and, and loving the message that you're delivering. So, the prepare part is, is no joke. Uh, these things take six plus months to prepare for. And then another thing that I really struggled with was the memorization part because there were three in three mm-hmm. weeks and plus mm-hmm. the travel of the three countries. So I was constantly like jet lagged. I would land, I'd have two days to memorize the speech and then I'd have to get on stage and do it. That's hard because the other thing that's different when you're first becoming a public speaker, you go out there and you do your very best. But every venue is different. Every environment yeah. is different. Every production team is different. Some people put your microphone on four seconds before you step onto stage. Some people put it on 10 minutes ahead of time. There's all these different stressful factors and frustrating sort of things that happen right beforehand that you can't really prepare for. And so every time I got on stage, I always felt this thing like I could have done more. I could have prepped early. I should have started earlier. I should have done more. I should have been a little bit more prepared. So I never fully felt prepared for any of them. And actually the one that turned out the best was the one I was least prepared for because I had to just- That's interesting. Kind of just talk about it from a place of of knowledge. So then now I'm curious to know if you could give your former self one piece of advice about how to best prepare for a TEDx talk that you wish had gone differently- what would be that one piece of advice? Because I thought it was going to be practice, 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 but then the one that went the best is the one that you did the least practice with. So what is the advice? Yeah, advice is contrary to that last story. What I would do differently is I would have only done one. I would have prepared for one the right way and done everything good for that one event. Now, I don't encourage people to go out and do TEDx talks without having memorized or prepared appropriately. Yeah. The three events that I did, in 2019, they were so diverse and so different. Like for example, one was an amazing production in an amphitheater, but no audience. And that really hurt me because I like having audience there and really absorbing and feeling the energy and like getting excited about it. One was a full audience standing room only in this sort of like resort style, big room with a funny little stage. And it, there was literally people standing all around. Every seat was taken. You could barely move in there. But the production team was not so great. It was actually, there were technical difficulties at every single stage. And actually, the several of the speakers didn't even have their talk recorded because just things were such a mess. And then there was another one, which was like a mix of both worlds, but the best. It was a full audience. It was a great production team, but it was at a university. So, it was a very young sort of student type crowd. So, I couldn't deliver the type of speech that I usually deliver because it's for students, not for executives. So, If I had to go back, uh, this is a long-winded answer. My advice would be find the right event for what you're saying and only do the one event. That would be the thing. Even if it takes you five years of applications at that one event to get in your local community and speak about the thing that you care about, I would just be a lot more patient, go after the one that makes the most sense and prepare accordingly. It's so funny you say this. So a mentor back in February 2018, when I first started working with this, this dude, he said, Listen, don't change 
your presentation change your audience. And you make such an interesting point around you can have a winning quote unquote presentation, but delivered to an audience who isn't your ideal audience is going to flop. Period, right? Because they're not going to be able to connect with it. They're not going to be able to connect with the pains, the storytelling, all that good stuff. So you mentioned such a good point where it's better to do one in front of your right audience versus three where you're doing it just to have the little TEDx badge on your website or in your funnel or in your discovery meetings or decks or whatever it could be. Yeah, the delivery is important. If all of those pieces truly line up, it will be magical. And that does take patience. So if you apply to 271 of them, you do all the preparations at the moment of delivery, none of that prep matters. It matters. Does this message meet the person who's intended it to meet? Hmm. I feel you, man. I feel you. I like it. I like it. So, okay, you've got the assets together. You are applying. You have landed the interview. You're through to the next stage of the application. You are, you've been given the green light. Ding, ding, ding. Now you're preparing the talk. You've got the right amount of practice for the right audience. Then what? What's step three? Yeah, delivery. So something I wish more people would say about public speaking is to enjoy it. The actual event <laughs> itself, it should be an enjoyable event. And all of these yeah, TEDx people, like yeah. people come there, think about this audience. They're coming there to learn something magical, something inspiring, something that will energize them. They want to walk home and be talking about, oh my God, did you see that speech? It was so freaking good. That's what you have to do. And if you want to do that, you should mingle ahead of time. Go out and meet some of the people in the audience. Talk to the other speakers. Attend all the like the mixers ahead of time and the, the stuff. Like Be really engaged in the event. And what will happen is that connection will be felt. There'll be this sort of spider web of a community around you. If you deliver a message to a cold audience who has no idea who you are, That's much different than if all the speakers know you, the production team knows you by first name, you've met 50 people in the audience, you've had cool conversations and like shared snacks and hors d'oeuvres ahead of time. That's awesome. That's what it's about. So I think the delivery has to be enjoyable. And if it is, it will come out in your words. You have to smile when you speak. You have to get up on stage and like dance a little bit. And I jump around on that little red circle that they have you on because it's fun and it should be fun, man. Energy sells, bro. Energy sells. You and I know that, right? People can feel that energy. I mean, all I took away from what you just said was the word hors d'oeuvres. And uh, (laughs) I was like, okay. But seriously, you mentioned a really good point, man, around networking with the audience before to transform them into a cold, into a lukewarm or even a warm audience. Because you mentioned such a good point with that because... Imagine delivering a cold message versus a warm message. People will be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's that dude, Brian, who ate all the hors d'oeuvres last night. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know yeah. that guy. I know that guy. So I like you, man. Okay, so here's something which I think is on a lot of people's minds is time is a huge, huge currency. People want more of it. Now, a lot of people will say, TEDx talks is or TED talks are a great thing to do, but sometimes it may be the right thing to do at the wrong time because there's other things that you could be doing other than that. If there were a few other things 
that the listeners could do to increase their credibility other than a TEDx talk, what would you recommend? And I say this in the context that you've spoken on a ton of stages across the world, 100 plus stages, a ton of countries, you've done books. What would you recommend other than giving a TEDx talk to really connect with your clients and gain that credibility and trust? That's a great question. The thing that, that you know very well is that certain types of messages hit audiences different. If it's a web page, if it's an mm. article, if it's a book, if it's a list, if it's a checklist, if it's an infographic, if it's a, a speech on stage, all of these things broadcast a message in a different way. And one thing that is important is what is the result supposed to have inside of it? Now, if I want someone to have more of a deep learning with a lot of background and context about something, then it's probably a long article, like a long form article or a book. If it's a short and sweet message that I just want to give them a little bump of energy, okay, then maybe that's a post on social media or a picture or a short article. If it's just feeling inspired for a few minutes, then it's a speech. If it's something where the point is to uh, engage in some type of debate, then like a LinkedIn live show or a conversation makes sense. So depending on the type of message and what the purpose of the message is, really changes what the best vehicle is for disseminating that. And the other part of it is also about the the scale of impact. So more people will read an article than a book. How hard mm. is it to do both of those too? So you have to weigh out like risk management. What's the pros and cons of a book? Well, it's hard to get published. It's going to take me a long time to write. So the impact better be freaking magnificent. It has to be this huge sort of life-changing movement around my message. Whereas an article is like, I could write an article in the next 45 minutes and post that and boom, it's done. So the level of effort. So you have to take all of that into account so that you can craft, apply, prepare, and deliver the message on the right medium. So that also speaks to the fact that you've written one book, but you've also written a thousand plus articles, right? Because of the time taken and the energy to do that. And you mentioned a good point, by the way, dude, that different people absorb and process information differently. So there's tons of ways in which your ideal client and ideal audience actually process information. And it's good to think about what other things you could do to really allow your core message to penetrate. But I need to, I want to get an answer to this question though. So if there's one thing though, one other thing that somebody could do then besides the TEDx talk, are you saying mm. it would be articles, book? What? What is that one thing? Yeah, the one thing, everyone has a beautiful message to share with people. And I think everyone should at least put together uh, some type of way that they share that. Whether that's a TEDx talk, whether that's a book or an article, you have to do it. You have to actually share the information that you have within you because it can really help you to shape that voice. Even after four TEDx talks, hundreds of articles, a book, uh, all this stuff, it's all still practice. I'm still practicing for that big message that's going to get out there at some point. And every post that I make on a daily basis on, on LinkedIn or wherever, all of this stuff just helps me to continue to find more clarity and to hone my message so that it can really make a better, deeper impact for people that want to change their life for the better. So the one thing, share some type of content, no matter what the vehicle is. And now I have a question which I think secretly might be on a few people's minds, which is, okay, you say share your message and have one which is worthy of sharing. But what if you deep down believe that you don't have a message which is worthy of sharing? What do you do then? 
I would stand by my same advice is share something, share something because over the course of time, like if I look back on my first 10 articles, they're absolute nonsense. One was a collection of accounting jokes. I mean, there's, there's so many just (laughs) bad pieces out there, but over the course of time, because I forced myself to share something. Okay. Well, article 11 was better than 10, 12 was better than 11 and a hundred was better than 11 as well. And now they're decent Mm -hmm. articles and, and, you have to just do it. So many people say like, I'd love to give a TEDx talk one day, but they don't do anything about it. I just say, do something about it. Share something so that eventually you are ready for that TEDx talk. Or you are ready for that book. It would be really nice, Ravi, if someone did come to me and said, hey, I'd love to have you on our TEDx stage, or I'd love to have you publish a book with our brand, or I'd love to have you come speak at our event. And they do that now, but it's only because I've screwed it up for so many years. And I did have a couple not so great TEDx talks, but eventually they get better <laughs> and you hone that message and you get more clarity. And then you, you make the impact that you were meant to make. Imperfect action, man. It's huge. Mm. It's huge. And I know you're a big believer of that as well, right? Cause you and I talk literally, I suppose every day or every other day, right? But imperfect action is huge. So three big steps, dude, to really landing that, well, I suppose not that TEDx talk, three TEDx talks, ladies and gents, in 30 days in three countries. And if you skip through this episode, don't go back and watch it all from the beginning because Brian is here on some really interesting points. And for me, that concept of outsourcing the process once you have a handle on it. Number two is facing rejection and learning how to deal with it. And then number three, getting to know your audience before you actually deliver your speech. That is gold, bro. That is seriously gold. I think those three tips there are enough for the audience to take away and really implement, no matter what, by the way, that they're doing in terms of trying to get on TEDx talk or any stage period. So love that, bro. Love that. Final question for you, my friend. Who do you look up to when it comes to somebody who you believe is an influential communicator? Besides me. Yeah. <clears throat> Besides you, know? you, of course. Uh, <laughs> and just, this is a mutual friend that we both have, Richard Moore. Uh, Richard oh, Moore. Yes. Everything he writes, I want to read. Everything he says, I yes. want to listen to. Every video he posts, I watch from the very beginning to the very end. It's just, yeah. uh, there's something about the availability of what he's saying is like, I can use this mm. tomorrow. And it's yeah. stuff that like, I, I always wish that I could have done, but then he says it and like, it just clicks together. He has this really, really uncanny way to uh, simplify these quite complex psychological pieces in our communication. So Richard Moore, check him out. You'll be dope, bro. But thank you, man. I think this was an amazing episode. I can't believe we haven't, normally we make fun of each other a lot. You know, I warned everybody at the beginning, I was like, if we laugh in each other's faces, then it's it's just the way we are. But dude, we kept, we kept a lid on it today. I'll keep the jokes. I got plenty for you later. <laughs> are you not? Okay, no, come on, hit me. Come on, hit me with one before we close up here. Come on. Uh, you know, the- I'll put you on the spot now. <laughs> It's going to be bad, isn't it? No, no, it's not. I think I think if people want to hear some great jokes, they should check us out on our, our LinkedIn live show because those are always full of fun uh, on a Monday. Brian Harmon is the king of dad jokes. And for me, he's delivered three amazing tips today on how you guys and girls can land three TEDx talks in three different countries in less than 30 days using his three steps rather ladies and gents i'll see you next week peace 
okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. Oh, 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 oh,